Well, good evening everyone. It's uh, good to be with you. Been away for a couple of weeks. Went on, had a bit of time off, but it's good to be back and good to see all your lovely faces. Um, so, um, I don't... Yeah, we've got a few notices. I don't know if I have any slides for them. Um, so, in, uh, on the 24th, we've got another podcast coming up. This one's a particularly special one, yes, with um, John Dixon. So, this guy, he's an Aussie guy. Um, there was another person that we interviewed, um, Natasha Moore, uh, for the love of God. Um, why, uh, I can't remember the title off the top of my head. Anyway, we're, um, we're talking about his book called Bullies and Saints. So it's a similar type of thing to that other speaker. So it's kind of taking this book, it takes like an honest look at um, kind of church history and some of the really awesome things that have come out of it that we have even now and throughout the centuries and then some of the times where we've kind of got it wrong, where we've done, where, we've done like where the church has actually done a pretty bad job of things. And um, the main kind of heart behind why I wanted to talk with him is because I want to I wanna actually see what some of that was but then know how to, how to chat about it. How do we talk to people? Because I, I've, I've run into it a fair bit but like... Um, where people have the objection of whether I can't really believe in God because of how much the church has done in, in history and those kinds of things. So he's a really, really awesome speaker. He's got his own podcast as well called Undeceptions. Um, so make sure you come along to that. It's actually going to be really, really good. Um, we've got youth next week starting up again, which is going to be awesome. So we've got a Would You Rather night. Um, I'll leave that up to you, so that's fun. Um, and then we've got some awesome stuff going on. Do we have a slide for the men's thing, Nathan? Yeah, we do. So if there's any guys out there, um, this is going to be a fun weekend, I can tell. Fun little Saturday going on that out in the 4x4 adventure. Um, so if you're keen to come along, which I am, um, it, there's a little sign-up sheet in the in the foyer as well. Um, so we're gonna get into the sermon tonight. Um, so we're gonna actually start a sermon series in the Sermon on the Mount. That's a pretty cool graphic um, on the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in the Book of Matthew, um, which is uh, chapters five to seven. Um, and so if you want to grab your Bibles, we're actually, I'm, this is going to be a little bit of an introduction sermon, so I'm not really going to do like a go straight through one of the passages in this one. I kind of want to just give a bit of a context of how we can, oh sorry, how we should be reading it and how really not to read it at the same time and give a little bit of kind of context for what's happening here. So Matthew chapter 4 is kind of where I'm going to sit and I'm kind of doing you know, a little bit of an overview of what's happened before Jesus actually brings this sermon. So, um, what we see in this sermon is that uh, Jesus, he's in, he's in Galilee. Um, he's with his disciples, the ones he's at least recruited, recruited at the time. Um, and then he, we see that there's, he's been preaching and teaching throughout Galilee for a little while now. And, um, he, and then uh, all these crowds just come to this sermon on the mount. And uh, and it wasn't, uh, I think, as far as I can tell, just by ge- just looking at the geographical kind of area of Galilee, it's not a super mountainous range per se. Um, it's not like Mount Everest where Jesus went up there and he, people started coming up and that kind of thing. Um, and they don't, so it, was, it wasn't huge mountains or anything like that. Um, but um, they don't, and I was kind of like, I wonder if they somehow know which mountain he was on. <laughs> I was kind of curious. I was like, I did some research. Lo and behold... They don't know. Nobody knows. <laughs> but 
one thing I did find when I was looking at it was that um, a lot of, they noticed that quite a lot of like the mountain range and places were almost like a perfect amphitheater. Am- amphitheater? How do you say it? Anyway, <laughs> there we go. And um, which means that he could basically, um, doesn't, he doesn't need Chris, he doesn't need a sound system to do his sermon back in the first century. He could actually project his voice quite far, which is how one person can preach so far to so many different people. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, <clears throat> and so we see... Uh, what we see is that Jesus, he's, he's baptised in the previous chapters. He's baptised and then we know the passage where he goes into the wilderness for 40, 40 days and nights. And um, then after this, and he's tempted by the devil in there, and then after this, it's kind of after he's had his baptism, he goes into the desert um, and then he comes out and he starts his ministry. He starts his ministry. So if you go to verse 17, one of the first things he says after these things, He says, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at at hand. That's verse 17. And then we see that he recruits some disciples. Keep in mind this is before the sermon is done. He he recruits a few disciples and, and then he starts teaching. He starts teaching. And then in verse 23, if you go down to that, he says, and he went through all throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. It's kind of like the Jewish kind of church building type gathering of the time. So he went, he's teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Keep that in mind. He was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction among the people. So there's kind of these two statements, yeah? There's two statements between those two verses that we read. It was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, kingdom of heaven at hand. And teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And you kind of get these two different words kind of that really pop up. These two themes. It's gospel and kingdom. Gospel and kingdom. This is the first thing he starts to talk about. He comes to proclaim gospel and the kingdom. So really, what logically you'd think the Sermon on the Mount, which is the very next thing that he starts to preach, would be about is the gospel of the kingdom. So, or at least you'd think it would have something to do with that. If that was one of the first things out the gate, he says, I'm going to preach this, and then you see the Sermon on the Mount, it's going to be much to do with that. So to really understand the Sermon on the Mount, we need to understand what's the gospel and what's the kingdom, what's the gospel of the kingdom and many many scholars of of, uh, theologians have spent many many years doing this and writing big old books about it but we don't have that kind of time and i'm not that smart um so but i just kind of wanted to give a real simple version of it so around the time kind of jesus was around on this earth going around the land sorry um (laughs) jesus was on this earth uh, the word gospel actually wasn't, it wasn't like a word that he made up and it was only exclusive to him, like gospel good news, by the way, that's what that means, gospel is good news. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a word that he made up. It was something that, it was kind of a common language or a common word that people would actually understand. They knew what it was. And essentially, they used it a lot in the context of when a king was coming or a king was like uh, rising to the throne, Yeah or he'd kind of taken over a land and then that was the king of this new kind of empire. It was good news that a king had arisen, yeah? 
good news that a king had arisen. And a kingdom was coming because it had a king and gospel of the king, kingdom. So good news that a king is coming and then the king is part of his kingdom, gospel of the kingdom. So Jesus, in a sense, in this way, he's proclaiming that he is this good news. He is the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus has arrived. He has arrived and he is king. And he is king. But what makes that good news? Is it the same kind of way that they understood it in the first century or is it a little bit, a little bit different? And you will see that it's actually a bit different. So the, the Jews, the Jewish people um, living with the Old Testament were anticipating a king to come. They were anticipating some sort of king. They were looking at this good news and they were anticipating someone to kind of come and reign and, uh, and lead God's people and lead them to victory. And they were, in a, spe- in, a, in, a, in a sense, expecting this. They were expecting some good news. And the scriptures, they talked about this all over the place. They, they, kind of, they spoke, and particularly there's some really cool passages in Isaiah, um, which depending on where you date that, um, that's about 700 years before Jesus was there, that just so accurately tell of this kind of Messiah, this King, this good news that's to come. So they've been anticipating something. They've been anticipating these kinds of things. And they were over being ruled by other kingdoms. Do you know what I mean? At the time they were under the Roman Empire. Um, at the time, and they, yeah, like they had their own land per se and they weren't like super, super... Um, it wasn't like they were slaves under Egypt, if that makes sense. Like they still had some sort of autonomy, but it was they were still not their own, full their own nation and they were after a king. And in, if you look throughout the Old Testament, it's a bit of a roller coaster in certain ways, but they, they have their land and they're like ruling over it. And then other times the other big um, kind of empires take over, like the Babylonians and so forth, and then they get exiled. They go all over the place. And so by this point, when they're under Rome, they're keen for this kingdom, this king. They're keen for this good news to come where, where God provides this person for, them to, for him to come and rule and reign and basically take over the Roman Empire in a way. And normally that would look like someone overthrowing the current powers that be and kind of start leading the people. And it was as if they were kind of looking at Jesus in a way um, as if he was going to overthrow the Roman Empire and become king. They wanted that kind of good news. However, Jesus was a different kind of king. He was a different kind of king. He, he, was, he wasn't as concerned with these things. He was a different kind of king and he came, brought a different kind of good news to the, what I've just been talking about, to what they normally see this as. It was good news in the sense that he was a king, absolutely, and it was good news in the sense that he was coming to the throne, yep, but it was a different kind of king and a different kind of throne. It was a different kind of king and a different kind of throne. And he didn't seem to be that interested. You see it throughout his ministry. Like People are asking him at times, like asking him questions about like, even his disciples is like, when are you going to do this? Like, When are you going to overthrow this? Like, do you know what I mean? But he doesn't seem to be that concerned with it. It's like his mind's in a different spot. Um, and 
yeah, he wasn't very interested in kind of ruling over earthly kingdoms in, in a sense, in the same way that the Roman emperor would have done. Um, but rather, he was, he was actually concerned about something much, much bigger. And this is what we see him come to do. He is more concerned with the reconciliation of his people to himself. He's more concerned with the cure for our idolatrous, sinful heart. He's more concerned with giving us a way to have forgiveness of sins so we can be right with him, so we can live with him and become more like him. He's more concerned with these really, really important things and less concerned about who's in power. Because really, if you think about it, the prob- really, the problems in our world are less actually to do with who's in power. I'm not going to say that they don't do anything. People in power have a, a lot of power, power, and they do have something to say on it. But the problems in our world are less to do with that, but rather more to do with our sinful, idolatrous heart at the end of the day. Us as humans, we have a sinful heart problem. Our heart is the problem. And, and the, the heart of, of man seems to almost stock standard think that they can do a better job of being God than God can. They think that I can, I can do a better job than him. And that's the real problem. That's the problem that, that, um, that Israel had then. That's the problem that the world has had for a very long time and still has to a very large degree. And it's our idolatrous hearts. Ever since Adam and Eve, this has been the case. We've, we've, it's been the problem, not as much who's kind of like who's in power, who's like who's the major power at the moment, whether it's China or whether it's <laughs> maybe Russia, if they want to try and make that happen. Is it the USA? Like he's less concerned with that, but he's more concerned with our hearts and making a way to reconcile us to him. Our hearts are the real problem not who's ruling over us so hopefully that makes sense so when jesus he when he brings good news of the kingdom the good news the gospel he's bringing the good news that he has come to make a way to pay for our sins to make us right with him and be reconciled that's the good news of the kingdom so with all that said you'd think that his first sermon about this good news of reconciliation, forgiveness of sins, you'd think if that's what he's come to preach, if that's what he's come to do, that this Sermon on the Mount, which is coming up in the next chapter, would be something to do with that, yeah? It would kind of make sense. Given the context, it's, um, it's exactly what we'd see happen. And I just kind of, I want to premise this, because I, see, it'll be something that I'll come back to, and Chris will come back to, and... Uh, whoever else is preaching in this series. Um, and I, I want to I premise this. And the, the things that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount are exactly what you'd expect to see in someone who has been saved by his grace, by the gospel, by this good news he's talking about. The things he talks about in this sermon are the exact thing that you'd expect when somebody has been saved by the gospel and is living their life to serve him and to serve others rather than themselves, first and foremost. The things we read in this sermon are the kind of character, it's the kind of lifestyle of someone who knows the gospel and has experienced it and has made Jesus king in their life. This is exactly what we should expect and this is what we see in 
the Sermon on the Mount. And to be honest, for a long time, the temptation, like particularly growing up, is that you could read the Sermon on the Mount, you can read certain things of what Jesus says in his ministry, and you can think to yourself, these are really good do's and don'ts. These are like the new commandments that Jesus is giving, the new ethics of the kingdom. And that, yeah, that's, that's kind of true, but it's, it misses the point. And I kind of want to tease that out tonight. That's one of my main points, is that it's, it's much more than just a to-do list. This is much more than uh, do this, don't do that. I'm Jesus, don't do this, do that. That kind of thing. Even though it's very helpful in that way, it's much more than that. And... We have a temptation as, as humans to do this. I don't know about you. Some people have it a little bit more than others, but sometimes I can be tempted to just follow a list. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, cool. Um, I can just do this, 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 or that, and I'm a sweet. You know what I mean? And then you're kind of like, I can make my own type of salvation. And that's one of the kind of temptations. We might not say it that way or like kind of identify it that way all the time, but we can live that way. I've got two temptations for Christians with this, this passage um, and that's the first one. I want to go into that a little bit. We can make what I don't want us to do and what I don't think Jesus really ever intended us to do with the Sermon on the Mount is see it as a do's and don'ts list. It can really help us that but it's not the primary purpose. It wasn't a moral code by which you kind of followed like I say and you kind of just become cool with Jesus um, if you follow it at all. It's actually more than that. So there was these guys, I'll explain this. So there's these guys, the Pharisees and the scribes um, and they were kind of uh, the Jewish leaders of the time or at least, yeah, some of them and they were kind of known for this kind of mentality at the time and Jesus talks to them about this and you see it particularly in the, in the Gospel of Matthew and um, they're known for this in Jesus' time when he comes on the scene. And when it came to following the law, the do's and don'ts, and this is what you shall do and shall not do, and the law of Moses and the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, they took it very, very seriously. They took it really, really seriously. So seriously that they came up with like umpteen amount of different oral traditions to help them follow the law. And it was kind of like adding little bits onto it. And so I'm sure at some point, by the way, this was a good intention, um, and, and it was these things to help them like follow this law and to like be just like pure and blameless before it, which was what they were called to do in many ways. And so they were really well known for this when Jesus comes onto the sea. But what we see is that they took this so seriously that they made the law in and of itself in a way its own God. They, they elevated how they needed to follow this do's and don'ts, this law, this moral kind of structure so high that they almost forgot what was really important, yeah? They, uh, they, they elevated it too high. And, and what we see even in the Sermon on the Mount, in particular when you look at uh, Jesus' critique of them in like for prayer, fasting and giving, is that they've kind of missed the weightier points of the law. They've missed the heart of it. They're doing it, they're following it for the most part, but they've missed the heart behind it. They've missed the heart behind it. So the question is then, what is the heart behind the law? What was the heart behind this from the very beginning? Um, 
And you see through Abraham, we all know, most of us will know about Abraham and a covenant that he made, um, that God made with him. And they were, and basically, the big kind of premise of it is that um, if they followed Jesus, I mean, if they followed God, then God would bless them, so they could be a blessing to the other nations. Yeah. So they were meant to be a blessing. Israel was meant to be God's people. Was meant to be a blessing, so they could be a blessing to other people. And the blessing would obviously come from, lo and behold, God. So they're made to be a blessing, to be blessed to be a blessing. That was kind of one of the main things that we're meant to do. But the only way, the premise of this, was that the only way that they could actually do this was that if they actually made God number one. They made, one of the main things that God asked them to do was to make God their only God. They're only one. None other shall you worship. None other. Yahweh alone and none other. And another crucial part as well, so you serve him, worship him alone, only have one God. And another crucial part was that you were meant to, uh, to kind of get, to be blessed and to bless these other nations was that you were meant to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. So in a nutshell, you're meant to love God with everything of who you are. Strive to do that. To do that with every aspect of your life, every aspect of how you were made a human. And whether it's in, in, um, sorry, in a spiritual sense, in a physical sense, in your mind, in your strength, all that kind of thing, you're meant, that's meant to praise God. So it was worship God alone and love him with your everything. There were huge two commandments that he gave them in order to be this blessing, to be blessed, to be a blessing to other people. That was kind of the heart of the law. It was the heart of it. And honestly, the temptation to worship other idols back then would have been huge. It would have been massive. It's kind of hard for us to really... Um, envision uh, right now because our, our idols take a bit of a different form. They're not really kind of little statues and things like that that we might kind of bow down to or light incense or whatever to. They're kind of more like, we, we want, I talk about this in other sermons, but our idols can be approval. Our idols can be money, success or um, relationships. It can be umpteen amount of different things. We can make our idols. But back then, a lot of their, like, they were physical idols or things that they actually literally prayed to. And so it actually would have been, it was a very common part of life. And you talk to uh, Pastor Andrew, he talks about how that's a pretty common thing still to this day in Togo. Um, it's, it's quite pragmatic as it was back then where you'd kind of, in a sense, it wasn't so much about I love you this, this, this idol, this God, I love you, this is awesome, I, you're the best kind of thing. It was more like, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to worship you and I'm going to get something hopefully in return. It was kind of like a bit more of an exchange type thing. So it was part of how they kind of did life and there was hundreds and hundreds of them. There was a lot of them and that's kind of, back then was hugely how they actually, they kind of functioned in life. So their temptation to do this would have been huge. It was a huge claim to ask them to kind of go, follow me alone, only worship me. And they're like, what? That would have been hugely countercultural, hugely countercultural. Still is today. But part of being blessed and being a blessing to others was to worship him alone. That was what he was asking. And it was also really tempting 
to not love God with your everything. So we talked about worshipping only God and then worshipping Him with your everything. It would have been really tempting and still is to this day to not do that. Um, we wrestle with this. It's a struggle. It's hard. Um, we wrestle with this kind of sinful nature to not do that. Because loving someone and other than yourself kind of thing, it, it takes a lot of sacrifice, yeah? It can often be a really hard thing to do. It can be really sacrificial. Sometimes it can be amazing. But other times, it's, it's, it's literally kind of looking outward a lot, a lot of the time, this love. And we have a tendency, not all the time, but we have a tendency to really want to just serve ourselves. You know what I mean? I don't want to love other people. I don't want to do things that don't serve me. Um, what is that going to get me in life? Do you know what I mean? So the temptation to do these two things was, was quite big. Um, so all this to say is that these religious leaders, going back to the Pharisees here, so that was the heart of the law. Heart of the law was um, that they wanted to be a blessing. They wanted to be blessed, sorry, so they could be a blessing to the nations. And how they did that, like you can go into more detail, but really, really um, basic is that they were worshipping God alone and they were loving him with everything that they were. And so we see these religious leaders of the day and they, they wanted to take the law so seriously. They, re- they were taking it really seriously and they did. Um, but they made it, like I say, they they they, they kind of they disobeyed in a sense that first commandment. They they made that God. They made they elevated the law above it. They were so obsessed with following these laws that they almost made the law itself a god and worshipped that. So rather than God being the goal, he was kind of like a sub goal to following the law. And you see Jesus, he, again, you can, I encourage you to read through the Gospels all the time. They're great. Um, but Jesus, he, he, he points this out about these people all the time. He calls them, I've said this in other sermons, but he calls them like um, whitewashed homes. He's pretty brutal with these, <laughs> with these guys. He's the most brutal and has the harshest words for them, I think. And, but he calls them whitewashed tombs. They're like, yeah, outside, you look like you're following everything and you're awesome and you've got it all together and you've, you've followed the law and you're like an awesome person. But inside, you're like rotting bones. You're like a rotting corpse. Like inside, it's, it's not going well. It's not good. And how he, how, like, in, even in the Sermon on the Mount, he critiques them for how um, they fast for, to, for everyone to see. They want to be seen as righteous. They give so for everyone to see because they want them to be seen, not God, and, and so on and so forth. So he has this critique and, and you can see that they've elevated this almost too far. Almost too far. Probably started as good intentions, but it got elevated, elevated too far. And why I'm saying all this, why I'm saying all this is because I think sometimes, not every Christian, but we have the tendency to almost do the same thing at times. Where we can make, the temptation is to, to, to make the words that Jesus says or the kind of commands of what we should and shouldn't do, which are really beautiful and awesome things by the way, but the temptation is to kind of go, okay, I'm going to follow them and that's what it means to follow Jesus. Rather than going, okay God, I am going to worship you. I'm going to worship you alone. And as we're doing that, we kind of naturally become more like 
these things that he's saying. And that's part of what I'm getting at with the Sermon on the Mount. When you read it, it isn't so much do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. It's exactly what you see in the Sermon on the Mount is what you see when someone's actually elevated God up to number one status and they're worshipping him, not the law, not what he says. You're worshipping a person and we're like enamoured by him and we want to live for him and we kind of more naturally want to do these things and God sanctifies us and he helps us to be able to do these things. And I think that we can be tempted to do that. And there's a lot, I hear it from um, some non-Christians in particular um, where it's kind of, we're tempted to be this morally good people again, which is a good thing. We're not meant to not do it, and I'll get to that in a sec. But, but that's what all that people can see, and they kind of feel judged, or they feel like a bit like what the Pharisees were doing. They were like, we're trying to show that we're awesome, and we're trying to show ourselves as if we're better than other people, and that kind of thing, whether we mean it or not. Um, but that can be a temptation for us, is that we kind of don't want to go through the hard yards of following God. We're just like, come on, bro, just give me a list. Just let me do what I need to do. Just let me go. And I think that's our first temptation. That's our first temptation as Christians, that we can make this into a rule book rather than elevate that as our cause and our purpose for being here rather than Jesus. And I do want to say that we are actually meant to follow the Bible's teachings and particularly Jesus's and the New Testament teachings, but they're not, they're not per se the, the goal. The goal is Jesus. That's what I'm trying to say. We do do these things. We do with everything within us try to follow these things. We try to be um, holy before God. We try to match our, um, our kind of standing as holy in the eyes of God with reality. We're trying to do that, but our goal, nonetheless, above that, is always Jesus. It's always Jesus alone. And this is how we need to read this sermon. It's not just a do's and don'ts, but we need to remember the gospel. Because remember, he's talking about the gospel of the kingdom. This is the good news. And then he goes into this. It's when you follow Jesus, these things will flow. So, and I was thinking about this, and this is probably roughly where my sermon was going to end when I finished writing it on Thursday. And then I was just like, I don't know if this is everybody. I don't think this is the temptation for everyone um, all the time. I think it has been for a long time. But it kind of got me thinking. But I think there's other temptations, of course, but these are two. But I think in our time there's a second temptation and it's actually to not take the commands of Jesus and the Bible serious enough. Um, We live in a very um, morally diverse, relative type culture at the moment where you can, a subjective, where you can kind of make up what's true for you and you can just follow your feelings. At least that's what people are encouraged to do. I'm not saying they're always in that extreme. Um, And sometimes there's a propensity to kind of not take it serious enough as Christians. And sometimes we might do this either to kind of follow kind of a lifestyle that we want to do or something we really, really desire. Um, And or maybe we we sometimes don't take it serious enough 
And I won't go into huge examples now just because we don't have huge amounts of time, but it'll come out in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. But we'll often do it either to fit with our lifestyle, sometimes we won't take it serious enough, or in a good heart, sometimes we'll, we won't take it serious enough in order to kind of reach people. So we'll, we'll dull down what the teachings of Jesus in order to kind of, kind of um, water it down in order to reach people. And that's a good heart, and I'll get to that in a sec. The temptation is to see Christians that are like the Pharisees, yeah? His temptation is to kind of go, I don't want to be like that. I, like, I don't want to be this morally superior, kind of perfect, but lack any kind of love. I don't want to be like that. That's a good desire. I don't want to, that we shouldn't want to, uh, that we should want to love and we should want to have compassion for others, but rather... We don't want to be these people that seem so super judgy and have no compassion like we saw these Pharisees. We don't want to be like the first temptation. And the, the kind of, the temptation is to go to the other extreme at that point. And you might not go all the way there, but often I've noticed humans, are, even in myself, we're, we're, we're people of extremes a lot of the time. Or we'll experience something bad and then we'll almost go the opposite direction. Um, and this is the other direction that we can be tempted to go. We can see these kind of people that are like Pharisees and think, I don't really want to be like that. I'm going to be this loving. I'm going to be this loving person, this accepting person, because that's a big part of the heart of the law, and that's correct. It is. And that we should be a blessing to, the other, to other people. We don't want to get bogged down with all this stuff because we need to be blessed to be a blessing to others. We need to love other people. These are really good things. But the temptation in this framework, this frame of mind in like a reaction to some of the bad that we see is to go to the other extreme when it comes to the commandments and to comes, when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount in particular that we're talking about and the teachings of Jesus. The temptation is to not take them serious enough. And that's the balance we've got to strike. Now I'll go into how we do that. We can be tempted to go to the other extreme of being only loving and accepting without any mind of what Jesus is talking about or um, what he's taught and we can, we can almost forget some of it sometimes. I know it's very tempting to do at times when I talk to people because you're like, some, of the, some topics are pretty tough, you know what I mean? And, and at, the, at the best of times, sometimes it's hard to strike that balance. It's, trying to, it's really hard to be loving but still live in truth at the same time. I've um, spent many, many, many hours in the pastoral team talking to Chris, talking to Phil, talking to Esther, talking to different people about like, how do I navigate this? You know what I mean? It's not always super straightforward. Um, But you can't just give it up. You can't give up the teachings of Jesus in order to just be loving and accepting. But hear me out here. Hear me out. Being extremely passionate about loving and accepting people is not a bad thing. It's not. I don't want to be that guy that's just like, just just do the tick box things. Tick, tick box thing where you're kind of like, I'm just following the commandments. I'm going to be like a Pharisee. I'm not saying that. To being incredibly passionate about reaching people out there and loving them to, to, and to go to great extremes to do that is a great heart and you should never get rid of it. Never dull that down. We want to be a blessing. 
But if we're not grounding it in the Word of God, if we're not taking the Word of God serious enough as we're doing that and we're, we're taking the time to really wrestle with it, then that can be, become a problem. That's where it can go a bit, a bit skewed. Our heart can be in a really great spot, but we need the teachings of Jesus. And for instance, if, we, if someone has such a low view of, of, of the kind of commands that Jesus gives and, the, and this sermon, if there's such a low view of it and the teachings of the Bible, but in a really high view of loving people, again, which is really good, it can actually be very, very easy to pick and choose what you want in order to do this. Does that make sense? You know, Bible, love, and you need both. But it's very easy if this is the outweighing thing. This is the temptation of the only thing that I need to do. It can be really easy to pick and choose down here. And that's why we need to take it seriously. It needs to be a balance. We need to balance these things out. So there's two temptations here. And if you, by the way, if you ever want to talk about anything that I say, I'm more than happy to chat about it and explain it. I never want to come across as if I can't be approached or if I've explained everything perfectly. I often don't. Um, so if you want to chat about this in any detail, let me know. But main kind of thing here, there's two temptations that we can do with the Sermon on the Mount. There's two temptations. Is what, we can, what we can do is, is we, can, we can idolize loving people in the same way that we can idolize being kind of like these Pharisees where we follow these commands to a T, but we miss the main point. And that's what I'm getting at. One can cause us to be really self-righteous and, and judgy and come across as really rigid and like not approachable. One of them can do that and kind of have this better-than-thou type mentality. And that does a horrible job of loving people. Absolutely, it really does. And the other can cause a person who in the name of loving people well causes them to compromise on the Word of God. And we need a balance. But the question is, is how? How do we do that? And it's the same answer as the first temptation. Is that we don't, they're, they're both there. We're both told to follow the Word of God. We're told to take it seriously. We're told to follow Jesus' commands. And we're told to love people. That's two, two greatest commandments, is to love God with your everything, just like in the Old Testament, and to love others, just as yourself. That was the two great commands. So you've got these two big things side by side, and we need both, but neither of them can be the object of our praise or our worship. The law can't be, the commands, the Bible itself can't be the thing that we worship, nor can loving God and loving, I mean, loving others. But literally, it's Jesus. He's the object of our praise. That's how we can have a balance. That's how we can strike a balance with these things and navigate it as best as we can. As when we've got both of them, but Jesus is the gospel. He's the good news. He's the goal. The commands, loving others, not the gospel. Jesus is the gospel of the kingdom. So, hopefully that makes sense. We can have these two different temptations to do these things as Christians, but really we need to go one step higher. These are good things. We need to go one step higher. The Sermon on the Mount is exactly what we should expect to see in someone's walk in life when life is about Jesus and when it's about others. Not idolizing following the law or idolizing just being a loving person.
both good things in and of themselves, but we need Jesus at number one. So let us be a people. I'm going to invite the, um, the uh, worship team to come up now. Uh, I just encourage us, as we go into the Sermon on the Mount, to see it this way. Try not to see it. Try to take it, one, seriously, but secondly, try not to take it just as a rule book, but see it as, man, I, I want to be more like that, and how I do that is by going to Jesus, not just trying in my own strength. So let us be a people that love God and make Him our focus, and in the process that we can be changed by Him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much um, for your word. I thank you that it is truth. I thank you that it guides us, Lord. Um, Lord, we live in a complex world and we live in in a world where there's many, many things that we have to wrestle with as Christians. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to be loving people. I pray that you would help us to, to navigate your word with such a, a seriousness, Lord God, that we're seeking to, as best as we can, take ourselves out of the picture and see what you're saying. Lord, help us to do that with such a strong heart and teach us, Lord God. Help us to be humble in this way and help us to strike that balance. Lord, how do we love people? How do we love the world around us but still stick to what you've taught us to do? Lord, more than anything, I just ask that you would help us to make you number one. Lord, if there's anyone here that has a kind of tendency to to just want to be a morally good person or a tendency to not take your morals, um, your teachings, Lord God, serious enough, I pray that you would just meet us tonight that you would help us to come to you and to surrender tonight, that we can know you and worship you alone and that we can do these things well. Amen.